It's Tuesday, you're watching The Philip DeFranco Show, and here's what's happening. Starting with, we should talk about this big Neuralink news. Because as you might have seen, Elon Musk announced on X last night that his startup Neuralink implanted a chip into the brain of their first human subject. And while we don't know who this patient is, Musk said that the initial data is promising and that the patient is recovering well. Well, of course, the internet got its jokes in, saying the announcement sounds like a data log you find in an office in a scary dystopian video game, joking about future headlines like Neuralink man fighting the urge to murder anyone who calls X Twitter. But general memory aside, this is actually a huge moment for Neuralink. They received FDA approval to begin human trials back in May for their brain implant, which, according to their website, is designed to interpret neuron activity in the part of the brain that plans movement, by giving someone the ability to control a smartphone or a computer with their thoughts. And this specific clinical trial is only open to participants with quadriplegia due to ALS, or a spinal cord injury. And Musk saying that the first product would be called telepathy, with initial users being those who have lost the use of their limbs, and would allow them to control their phone or their computer just by thinking. With Musk adding, imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than a speed typist or auctioneer. That is the goal. Now, all that said, it's important to note that Neuralink is actually not the first company in the brain-computer interface world. Synchron was actually the first to receive FDA approval for human trials back in 2021. Ever since, they've been implanting their chip into patients. Also, BlackRock Neurotech has been implanting patients for a while now, reportedly giving them the ability to eat, send emails, and operate a robotic arm with their thoughts. And as far as Musk and Neuralink, he's even suggested that it could give blind people sight. But all of this is he and his company have faced many challenges. Right, things that we've seen in the past, like a report by Wire detailing torturous conditions on test monkeys. Also, lawmakers have asked the SEC to look into whether Musk misled investors about the safety of the implant. Also, more generally, people have expressed concern about the ethical issues that neurotechnology could pose. With people like Alan McKay, a fellow at the University of Sydney's law school, saying, a society where some people are cognitively enhanced and others aren't could create a class divide like nothing ever. Though, that also sounds like the concerns from a, a brokey, no-enhancement-having bitch. Some jealous, nobody finger-dragger. Also, finger-dragger is a slur I just made up for people who don't have implants and can't control their phones with their mind. I'm doing God's work here. I'm creating big tree for people that don't even exist yet. I didn't have an outro for this story, so that's that's what you're getting. And then, America, we did it. We fucking did it. Unfortunately, the it that I'm talking about is uh, double the hate crimes in schools and colleges. With new data that was just released by the FBI showing that jump happened between 2018 and 2022. That also means that when you actually look into the data, one in every 10 hate crimes in the United States took place in schools in 2022, which makes them the third most common place for them to go down, only trailing homes and roadways. And it appears that the only time that we've seen a meaningful full dip in hate crimes during the five-year period was because of COVID. Because the pandemic shut down schools for months, so it was just literally not possible to commit a hate crime at school because it was closed. Also, as far as more specifics, they found that Black Americans by far experienced the most hate crimes at schools, like by more than double of any other single group. Though the second most impacted group was Jews. And then while it's a mixed group, there were a ton of offenses based off of sexual orientation. But also, and this is a key thing when we talk about stuff like this, experts in this field widely believe that the hate crimes are underreported in general. And in fact, over the past few years, some local police departments haven't even been reporting their hate crime data to the FBI, right, so it's skewing national numbers. Notably, these numbers don't cover 2023, which is where we've seen increased reports of hate acts against Jewish, Arab, and Muslim Americans, especially in schools, with college campuses in particular seeing a ton of tension. And then, well, let's talk about this insanity. Right, so this guy's walking home, about to cross the street, when all of a sudden, he hears tires screeching and a woman screaming. So he does the logical thing, and he pulls out his phone to record, and he sees this. And that woman, clinging to the hood of that car, is LA resident Ali Zacharias. And to record scratch, understand how she got here, we have to take a trip through the dark underworld of dog mafias and puppy snatchers. Right, because you may not know this, but according to the American Kennel Club, millions of dogs are stolen every single year, and most of the time, their owners just never see them again. And also reporting that last year, the cases of theft had shot up 140% over the prior four years. But also, I don't want all dog owners to just get scared right now, because these dog nappers usually just target the most expensive pure breed animals like Germany. 
German Shepherds. Right, Labrador Retrievers, Siberian Huskies, Yorkshire Terriers, and Shih Tzus. So the number one most popular breed for thieves are the French Bulldogs. I mean, hell, remember back in 2021, someone shot Lady Gaga's dog walker and stole two of her French Bulldogs. But all of that brings us back to Ali Zacharias. Right, because she was just sitting down having lunch outside of a Whole Foods with who else but her adorable French Bulldog Onyx. And she's spoiling him with some meatballs and white fish, and at some point he ducks under the table to explore. Ali's just letting him do his thing. But the next thing she knows is that Onyx isn't on the ground anymore. Instead, he's in the arms of some random woman who's now walking away. So initially, Allie's like, maybe this is some sort of misunderstanding. She's following, she's calling out to this stranger. And even as the woman climbs into the car waiting on the street, it really hasn't fully clicked in Allie's head what's happening. She actually tries to follow the woman into the car, but instead, four people push her out and lock the doors. With Allie then describing what happened next, saying, I stood in front of the car and I was holding my hands up, like, stop, do not go. And they drove into me and I fell onto the hood. With the driver then peeling out of there as she grabbed onto the windshield wipers, which led to this video. And they punched through downtown LA like that for several blocks with Ali saying, before I know it, we're going like 40 miles per hour. And later adding, as he started to go faster and faster, I started to say, I'm about to die. This is my death right now. I'm about to die. But eventually the car swerves, throwing her off the hood and then speeds off with Onyx still inside, never to be seen again, leaving Ali with some bruises and cuts, but otherwise fine, at least physically. Because emotionally this hit her like the loss of a family member. I just like feel lost and lonely without him. And he's my buddy, he's my wingman, you know, and we, he goes to work with me and we do everything. And he was just suddenly gone. They stole my child away from me. And all of that went down back on January 18th. And since then, she's been putting up posters, working with police, and just doing everything she can to get her puppy back. So in the midst of all this, because fucking humans are horrible, someone preyed on her desperation. But they're saying some scammer led her on a wild goose chase on Sunday to get $50. But still, she's trying, even offering a reward for her dog's safe return. And as far as the dog nappers, they took off in this white four-door Kia Forte with a missing hubcap on the front driver's side. And unfortunately, their license plate appears to have been whited out. But hopefully, there's enough identifiable information that some of these scumbags get caught. And then, have you ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? Because yeah, I think a lot of us have been there. But thanks to the sponsor of today's show, Fume, they're offering a breath of fresh air. It's not about giving up, it's about switching up. And Fume takes your habit and simply makes it a better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Because Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. This is a flavored air device with a bunch of different flavors that you'll love. And I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I was surprised about how flavorful it was. Like I know Lynn's prefers the orange vanilla, but also they have a crisp mint. And it was also quite refreshing, also sparkling grapefruit. The big thing for me is uh, the fidgeter in me likes the movable parts, the magnets, keeps your fingers busy while also helping with anxieties that come with taking the bad out of your bad habits. And you can even adjust the airflow to your liking. Plus, Fumes just released a magnetic stand for your fume, so there's no more losing it around the house. And that's it, you're just breathing in naturally flavored air through an award-winning device. No artificial flavors, nasty chemicals, or batteries involved, just flavored air. So start your year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash DeFranco. And then just use code DeFranco to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. And then we are on the brink of having a catastrophic catastrophic water crisis, but this idea could save us or totally upend the world economy as we know it. So kind of high stakes. Right, and if you haven't seen, a while ago, we actually did a deep dive into the impending disaster that is America's rapidly depleting aquifers, right, which are naturally occurring underground water sources. With the New York Times even publishing this absolutely crazy study that found that many of the aquifers that supply 90% of the nation's drinking water, they're being depleted at a dangerous pace. And not only is that water essential to American life, it's relied on by farmers, who make up the country's most important economic sectors, supplying food and other essential goods across the US and beyond. But also because of that, farms are one of the 
major reason aquifers are being overpumped and running out of water. Though it's also being exacerbated by growing cities and climate change. Right? So if we want to have any chance at actually mitigating this crisis, we've got to look at policies that address agricultural overpumping. And that's exactly what's being done in California's Pajaro Valley. Right? It's this region that's located along a 10-mile stretch of Monterey Bay. It's mainly known for its berries, specifically strawberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Though it also produces lettuces, Brussels sprouts, kale, and other greens, all of which bring in nearly a billion dollars in revenue every year. While you've got farmers all over the country just waiting for the day that they run out of groundwater, that breaking point actually hit the valley nearly four decades ago. Right back in the 1980s, farmers began to overpump coastal groundwater, with that then causing salt water from the ocean to bleed in from below their fields and into the roots of their crops. So to preserve groundwater and stop the state from taking control of their lands, a group of farmers formed a local water agency. And its first order of business was to install meters so that the farmers could gauge how much groundwater they were actually using. Then in 1993, it began charging them a fee of $30 per acre foot to pay for managing and reading those meters, right, essentially a tax on water. And this is the water agency continued to invest millions and millions of dollars into other technologies and systems to more sustainably use water through rainwater capture, water recycling, and more. And while some of those projects have also been paid for by federal grants and loans, the rest of the costs are being covered by money farmers spend to use groundwater. And so as those ambitious projects have ramped up, so is the cost of groundwater. And you know, early on in the process, growers who were used to getting that groundwater for free, they were unhappy with the price increases, with at one point a group of farmers suing the water agency. In fact, they were able to successfully drive down prices for several years, even forcing it to refund them around $12 million from 2008 to 2011. But then between 2012 and 2017, California was hit with its worst drought ever in recorded history, which made it so that farmers had to significantly limit their water supply. So groundwater prices went up in the Pajaro Valley, but they at least still had water. Though since then, the costs have continued to rise. And right now, the per acre foot cost has grown to $400, which according to the Times makes the valley, quote, one of the most expensive places to grow food in the country, if not the world. But this is the chair of that water agency's board of directors told the Times that the last time prices were bumped up in 2021, there was actually very little protest. And that's likely because this whole experiment has been seen as widely successful. Because right? the money that farmers spend on groundwater brings in $12 million each year alone. With that money then getting used for investing in groundwater restoration and conservation. And to that point, a recent study on this model identified a direct link between having farmers pay for groundwater and successfully conserving it. Specifically, finding that a 20% increase in the price of groundwater brought about a 20% drop in the amount of groundwater that was extracted. So because of that, plenty of farmers have come around to accepting that these increased costs are actually necessary if they want to keep farming in the valley at all. And beyond that, the region's absolutely thriving economically. And again, this despite the high water prices. Right, it's the home to the headquarters of some major brands like Driscoll's, which is literally the largest berry supplier in the world. Martinelli's is also based in the valley, which is where it grows most of the apples for its famous sparkling cider. And so with all this, you have experts saying, hey, what they're doing in the valley, this water buying system, it should absolutely be copied by growers facing an impending groundwater shortage in the U.S. and beyond. Especially because, like we talked about in the first groundwater deep dive, the federal government has done fuck all to address the crisis. When it comes to the states, they have this messy patchwork of differing laws. In fact, according to Felicia Marcus, a former chair of the California State Water Resources Control Board, only a few other regions have set groundwater fees for farming. And what we're seeing in the Pajaro Valley is that it's cutting edge, saying they're way ahead of the curve. And it's gotten a lot of attention. With Brian Lockwood, the general manager of the water agency, also telling the outlet, we get calls from all over the state. How did you get this going? How did you get the growers to agree to it? This is better than the county or the state coming and taking control. And by now, this is something that's solid. It's been tried. It survived lawsuits. And all that was echoed by Driscoll's chief executive, who also said in an interview that he absolutely considers this a model that can be replicated. And adding, water can't be free anywhere because you can't run a sustainable water supply without pricing it. That would apply to the globe. But then, you have people on the other side of this, where you also have plenty of experts who say that there are significant barriers to actually implementing this policy on a bigger scale. Where first and foremost, new taxes, they're just unpopular. That is just a political fact. Then you also have some concerns saying, hey, these systems, they actually benefit big multinational corporations that can afford to shoulder the expenses over small independent growers. And what's more, and this is the big hitter here, requiring farmers to pay for groundwater at a large scale could turn the economy upside down, triggering huge changes for both producers and consumers like you and me. Because when growers have to pay for water, the increased cost gets passed on to the product and the consumer, which can make the farmer's goods less competitive in the market. The big corporate growers who sell premium produce like berries, 
strawberries and lettuce, they can afford to absorb the extra cost because grocery stores and consumers will still buy their goods even when the prices go up. Which notably, you know, when you had farmers in Pajaro Valley, they either shifted to growing high-priced products or they just left the region altogether to find cheaper land. But those numbers, those economics, they don't apply to cheap commodity crops like cotton, alfalfa, corn, or soybeans, or things that are necessary to make animal feed and a number of other goods like textiles. Without going into like a whole Econ 101 lesson, market is generally seen as not willing to pay as much for those commodities as it does for premium crops. So you have people arguing if fewer people are producing those crops, it creates a scarcity. In fact, the Times even reported that in some parts of the country, pricing groundwater can spell an end to current crops altogether, with some experts specifically pointing to producers of Texas cotton, which notably is being grown using water from a depleting aquifer. And the impacts of what's coming already or any changes we try to make, like, they're going to be huge, not just for the U.S., but globally, right? Like with cotton, the U.S. exported more of that than any other country in 2022. And the U.S. is also a huge supplier of other commodity crops, making up 32% of soybean exports and 23% of corn exports the same year, which is why you have some saying, you know, this is a classic and painful catch-22. There is going to be change. There is going to be pain. Whether it's taking action or inaction, it's going to have an impact for everyone, but especially if you work in the agriculture industry or live in big farming towns. But hey, as we continue to get closer and closer to that cliff's edge, I'll pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? What are you thinking? Why are you just a consumer? Are you connected to the production of things? I'd love to hear from you. And then, you know, for many of us, January represents a time to refocus and get back on track after taking a break. And while taking a break is important for our well-being, we must also make sure to resume our regular activities and responsibilities. But just keep it simple by adding back in the basic, get important foundational needs like nutrient replenishment, gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. And that's where the fantastic sponsor of today's show comes in. AG1. You know, after more than two years, I still rely on AG1 to help me fill in the nutritional gaps. And it does help that I love the taste. Not to mention, it's still the most comprehensive nutritional drink I've found on the market. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Through a science-driven formulation of micronutrients, phytonutrients, and essential symbiotics, AG1 supports the brain, the gut, and the immune system. AG1 is also NSF certified for sport, meaning that it's trusted by top athletes for clean nutrition. So don't wait. They're giving you added immune support with a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five individual travel packs with your purchase. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more comprehensive supplement. So go to drinkag1.com slash DeFranco, or just click that link below to get your free welcome kit. And then, right now we're seeing America's influence on Chinese media changing. Namely, it's decreasing. With reports recently noting that there's been no American film to make it into China's top 10 in the box office in the last year. Hell, neither Barbie or Oppenheimer, some of our biggest movies, even made it into China's top 30. And that's a huge difference from just over 10 years ago. In 2012, seven of the top 10 movies in China were American. But now we're seeing audiences there prefer to watch Chinese films for a number of reasons, including they feel more relevant to their actual lives. But that's Hollywood. Can social media be different? Well, one of America's biggest entertainment exports is about to try to find out. Mr. Beast. That's all he's made. Headlines recently for posting videos to X. He's also been doing something that's gotten a lot less attention from Western media. Posting to the Chinese platform Billy Billy. He's got a video introducing himself and his content. It's all part of a much bigger plan. And the person managing his rollout in China talked to Bloomberg, saying that he started with Billy Billy because it's similar to YouTube, but adding that Mr. Beast plans to expand to a ton of other sites like Weibo and more in the coming months. Well, we've seen numerous examples of there being a divide between what American and Chinese audiences one, and some have said that Mr. Beast would need to change his game up for China, arguing that he'd need to keep up with Chinese social media trends instead of just re-uploading his YouTube content with subtitles or dubs. But the thing is, there's already some interest that's been proven. Not only has Chinese social media become increasingly interested in foreign influencers, but there are actually a number of fans who have re-uploaded Mr. Beast's content already. And those, even not coming from an official channel, they've gotten 3 million, 5 million, even 7 million views. And that's all without him and his team trying themselves. And I imagine as long as Mr. Beast doesn't start uploading random videos where he's giving his opinion on Taiwan and the plight of the Uyghurs and Yenemin Square, uh, sky's the limit for the views. But 
That said, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. And then, in online drama slash business news, we got Meg The Stallion and Nicki Minaj for one of our first big celebrity feuds of 2024. And everyone's been chiming in on this thing, both regular people on social media, as well as like, it's being covered by the Washington Post and the New York Times. Well, there's a lot to explain here. I'm gonna try and keep this tight. Because right? a lot of this popped off when Meg released a song last Friday called Hiss. And there's this one line in particular that seemingly bothered Nicki Minaj. That line being, these hoes don't be mad at Megan, these hoes mad at Megan's law. Right, and Megan's law is a law that requires convicted sex offenders to be registered and identified. And the reason that would bother Nicki Minaj is, well, Nicki's husband, there, there's no other way to put it, is a registered sex offender. Now, he was convicted of attempted rape back in the 90s when he was a teenager. And in 2022, he actually got home confinement for failing to register as a sex offender when he moved to California. You know, Nicki Minaj has long defended him. Hell, she was even accused of harassing and intimidating his victim, though those claims were later dropped. And so after Meg released her song that had that line, Nicki Minaj fired back on Twitter calling Meg's music a flop saying she's a horrible actor a pathological liar and going on instagram live where she stood off camera but included a song snippet that went bad bitch she like six foot i call her bigfoot the bitch fell off i said get up on your good foot right and that seeming to reference the fact that meg was shot in the feet by tory lanes also i will say meg technically didn't say nikki's name or talk about her husband by name in the song but when she did an interview with the breakfast club and was talking about like who are you who are you talking about here she said it's for these bitches and hoes alike men or women but then also add I'm saying a hit dog gun holler. That's it. Whoever feel it, feel it. And so, you know, there have been spinoff riffs and feuds and stories all about this. But all of that took us to yesterday when Nikki released a diss track called Bigfoot. It includes lines from the Instagram live about calling her Bigfoot, get up on your good foot, as well as references to the Megan's Law lyric accusing Meg of bringing up a 30-year-old tea. Also making more references to the Tory Lane shooting, really mocking that incident, as well as repeatedly bringing up the fact that Meg's mom died right, by using the phrase lying on your dead mama over and over. And in general, if you look at the reaction, it's been kind of widely panned outside of hardcore Nicki Minaj fans. And as far as the dislike, it's been disliked for kind of two different reasons. Some saying the song just objectively bad, like just from a music standpoint. And then others saying her disses feel like they're weird or they miss the mark. Right, and that ranges from like, why are you making a big deal about her being six foot? She literally calls herself Meg the Stallion, right? She embraces her body. Others saying that it's weirdo behavior that because she called out your husband's violent crime in the past, you try to wave a violent act that happened to her. Right, and that's just some of it. But while this has largely been seen as more of a win for Meg the Stallion, there's an argument out there that this is still actually good for both of them. Right? Because attention is attention. Right? If you go to Apple Music's Top 100 Global, this is number one, Bigfoot's number two. Right? There's just a lot of interest. And whether one or both end up being pops and then flops, you know, time will tell. But also while there's all this attention, you had Meg announcing this morning that she's touring this summer. Right? So that announcement gets even more buzz than usual because there's all this attention. You know, you've got Nicki Minaj saying there's five more songs that she'll release if Meg so much as breathes wrong. And ultimately, more than ever, this story just makes me feel weird about the, the attention economy that we, we currently have, as well as like the, the current state of fandoms, but that's been on my mind for a number of reasons. I don't know. Weird world. And then finally, let's talk about yesterday's show. Let's dive into those comments and see what y'all had to say. And yesterday, on the topic of politics, people were talking about age limits. Jimmy Greer saying, can we please have some age limits in politics? Trump is clearly mentally unstable. McConnell freezes up. Biden has had some senile moments. Pelosi is starting to sound deranged. You know, I'm personally of the mindset of, great, let's set an age limit. I, I agree that we need age limits. But also, I find it extraordinarily odd that we we have term limits for the presidency, the most fucking powerful position in the world. And hell, we even have them for most governors who 
you know, some people would say they're essentially the president of their state. But for some reason, if you're in the House or the Senate, nah, you're good. And I mean, for fucking senators, two terms is 12 years. But like, if you just look to our U.S. Senate, you got Chuck Schumer. He's been in Congress for over 43 years. And he hasn't even been there the longest. Ed Markey, over 47 years. Fucking Chuck Grassley has served in Congress for over 49 years. Man was born back in 1933 when everything was black and white. And I'm not just talking about the water fountains. Like, in the actual world, I don't think color had been invented yet. It's just too long. Like, there's something to be said about respecting learned experience but also there is a limit to it. Where you're just holding on to the old, you're resisting change or any sort of evolution. Like at a certain point, you just need new people. But getting off my soapbox, yesterday there was also a lot of conversation around my opinions on swatting. With Mistress Cha saying, I wholeheartedly agree with Phil about the swatting charges. They should be treated more harshly. And he was right. It's like wielding a loaded gun that even if it doesn't happen to go off, the mental anguish it leaves behind in its wake is devastating. And going on to say, Anthony's interview with Cutie Cinderella is forever etched in my mind about her and Ludwig getting swatted numerous times by the same officers over and over again. How they almost lost their animals because of it and how the police almost blew Slime's head off. And all the fake calls, but the officers called on Edge as well. With constantly blaming the people that get repeatedly swatted. That it's their fault for not having different jobs and drawing attention to themselves. It needs to stop. Though some offering an interesting point of view saying, I, I feel like if they took swatting seriously, that would mean admitting that the police is a danger to ordinary citizens. Though I will say there, while I like understand the sentiment where that is coming from, this specific story in the application, it, it feels like trying to fit a uh, square peg in a round hole. Because law enforcement responding to this fake call, like they're being manipulated as well. Or, like in this situation, we're not talking about like a, a race-based stop and frisk that escalated. People are like, hey, someone got murdered in this house and the police are showing up trying to stop something bad, which is arguably another reason why people that are making these swatting calls need to be punished in a more harsh way. But that is where your dive into the news is going to end today. As always, thank you for being a part of these daily dives into the news. And remember, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.